Welcome to the Library Love Fest podcast, brought to you by HarperCollins Publishers. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Check it out. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Brought to you by Library Love It's Lainey from the Library Love Fest marketing team, and we're here with another episode of Editors and Edited. And today we are joined by Carrie Farron, and I'm going to let her take it away. <laughs> Hi, um, this is my first Library Love Fest, so I hope I do a good enough job to um, come up to your standards, Lainey. Um, I'm an editor who works on a lot of women's voices, um, everything from mystery to um, just commercial fiction to a little bit of romance and crossover. Authors I've worked on include Meg Cabot, Faye Kellerman, Laura Lippman, Lisa Kleypas, and many others. But today, I'm so excited to talk with Sally Thorne, who is the USA bestselling author of The Hating Game. And her second book is coming out January 29th, 99% Mine. And we have so much excitement for this title. Now, as you may know, The Hating Game kind of grew over time with its fetching cover and fetching title, an absolutely compulsive read. But um, we'd like to talk to the author a little bit about what a sophomore book is like and um, how it was working on that and uh, what she sees for the future. So, uh, Sally, hello. Hi. Um, thank you so much, Lainey and Carrie, for um, wanting to chat with me and getting that Australian accent into <laughs> podcast ears. <laughs> um, so I know I got onto this horse kind of midstream, and I was lucky enough to meet you in person, which um, so many people aren't able to go to Australia to meet you. But um, Exactly. <laughs> I'd love to talk just a little bit about first books, which I didn't work on, and the second book, which I did, and how the mm-hmm. how the experience was different for you. I, th- I think people are really interested in writers and their process. Sure. Okay. Um, well, I think I would describe The Hating Game as like that miracle baby that you give birth to and you didn't even really know that you were giving birth at the time. <laughs> That's probably a really terrible way to describe it. <laughs> But <laughs> that baby was out pretty quickly and fairly painlessly because um, I wasn't actually intentionally writing a book. I, um, I wrote The Hating Game as a gift for a friend's birthday. Um, I guess I'm a pretty intense friend, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, um, I wrote the draft while I was still working full-time in an office job that I absolutely hated. Um, so I guess that's um, why I set it in an office. I um, could definitely relate to those afternoons where time just moves along so slowly and the people around you are what you use to get through that time. Um, So I I wrote The Hating Game quickly, easily, laughing at myself whenever I felt like it. And um, I was pretty surprised at the end to realize that I'd written the first draft of the novel. And um, I think I would describe... The, the whole process of that book getting onto a shelf is just a complete dream come true and like the universe just wanted it. Um, and then when I came to my second book, that was when everything changed for me because suddenly there was more than one person that wanted to read it. 
and that's when my I wouldn't say yes I would say that's when my troubles began (laughs) (laughs) well the expectations the expectations (laughs) change when you get to your second book and um and people were so passionate about the first book I was completely shocked I mean in all honesty like just between you and me and all of the listeners, I didn't really know if anyone was going to find The Hating Game. You know, there are so many books on the shelf. I am a complete nobody um, from, you know, Australia. And I, to, that anybody could even find the book was incredible to me. And I, I, I just had no pressure on myself when it went out. I was like, if it's a good book, people will find it. I didn't do much in terms of, like, promoting it online and, you know, chiming in all of the time, you know, have you read my book? I was just like, look, if it's good, <laughs> people will find it the way they've always found it. And people and did. Each other. Yeah. 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 It was um, a real so word of mouth book. Definitely. It really was. Because, like, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm a fairly, like, lazy and clueless person. <laughs> and it's like a killer combination, really. <laughs> I did nothing much except just put the book out there. And, yeah, slowly people found it. And, you know, I was hearing stories where people were telling the hairdresser that they, they had to read it and buying it for all their sisters and forcing them to read it. And, you know, it's um, it's just done its thing, um, really, without any help from me. Um, and so then while all of that's happening, um, I'm sitting in my study here in Canberra, Australia, staring at my computer screen. And I tell you what, a blank Word document um, is... It can be a really scary thing. Um, right. So that was actually um, why meeting yourself, Carrie, in Sydney was so important to me. Um, we met, must have been, when was that? Uh, I think it was 2000, July 2017 or August. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we, we went to that amazing restaurant um, and we could see the opera house from yes. the window. It and, really was amazing. Um, <laughs> it was amazing. It was one of the best lunches I've ever had, um, and the food was incredible. But what was so important for me was that up until that point, everything that has happened to me has been online, and it has been in emails and Skype, of course. But it, when you're when you're living in a small town in your ordinary world, n- nothing you can kind of start to feel like you're just talking to a bunch of imaginary friends that you think are over in the States. <laughs> so it so, so it sort of pierced the bubble. <laughs> exactly. To actually meet you in person and, like, really sit down. And I think I probably just was so nervous that I just, like, frothed all over you. And no. The idea for 99% Mind in person, it was just, it was such an important moment because you said to me, I think you've got something here and I think that you can do it. And it was really important to me. So thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. And now you did it. I did it. Wow. <laughs> you know what's so interesting? When you talked about the first book, you talked about being in an office and writing about an office. And now you're at home. And what you're talking about is being at home and what a home means to this character and renovating her home. It's just a really interesting concept. Sally, do you want mm. to give like a top line of, of just two sentences about the book? Okay. It's. Um, 99% Mine is the story of Darcy Barrett. Um, she's a twin and she has a brother called Jamie and they're both extremely competitive and they have been fighting a lifelong battle 
over basically who gets the best friend. His name's Tom Delesca, and they've all known each other since they were eight. Jamie currently owns Tom Delesca's <laughs> loyalty and his um, his sweet kindness, and Darcy really would like to get in on having a little bit more of Tom Delesca. So when he turns up to renovate their cottage that they have inherited, um, Darcy suddenly thinks, maybe I won't get on a plane this time for the first time in my life. I might I might stick around and see how this plays out. No, I, th- <laughs> I think what's interesting is that Darcy does have, you know, kind of wanderlust, and she, she wants to travel always. And this is the first time she thinks, well, maybe roots are, are good too. And... Um, hmm. It's um it's a great dynamic between them. It's very different from the hating game. But on the other hand, there's a lot of intensity in this book, just as there was in the other one. And I think that, you yeah. know, we're getting really good responses to it. And we don't want to give away too much of the plot because we want people to be intrigued and want mm-hmm. to know how this all plays out between these three characters. And um, sure. Also, it has so many interesting insights into the gig economy and a lot of other issues, I think, that are um, just important for um, millennials and, and people in, in, you know, up and coming in their 20s and 30s. And I, th- I think it's yeah. a fascinating book, and I've really loved working on it. Oh, thank you. Well, I just hope that um, people, I mean, people will open this book and they'll, they'll read the first chapter and they'll say to themselves, oh, wow, well, this is not the hating game. And that's good. That's good for me because I don't intend on writing the same book again over and over. It's always going to be different. It's always going to be a new flavor. And um, I just hope that my voice continues throughout anything that I write. Um, You use the word intensity there, which I really um, appreciate because that's all I try to achieve in my writing. I think that reading a romance novel I think that people want to feel it you want to feel like you're in there and you're in that moment in that character's shoes and um, I think that um, I think that the intensity of this book actually comes from the female character mm-hmm. which um, I'm I personally am I haven't read too many books like this where the hook into the book is the female's lust and intensity and passion and obsession usually that's characteristics I think maybe a little bit usually more in the male character you know we see a lot of like really intense broody billionaires who (laughs) you know lock eyes on a woman and say she's that's her yeah yeah but in this case um I think it's really Darcy that's driving this plot line through um and you know like anyone who has loved someone for a lifetime or enjoys those kind of stories, I think it's really going to connect with 99% Mine. Um, it's um, a really simple story, and um, I think it's got a lot of heart in it. Yes, it, it does have a lot of heart. One of the interesting things about um, what you do, you know, as you're sitting in Australia and we're in New York, you've made your books very universal, and you made a decision not to set them anywhere, which... You know, I, I'm not sure that many authors do that. They spend a lot of painstaking time, like, um, having a setting. But I, th- I think that's mm. that's kind of what makes this book so special and so appealing. And I know that, um, you know, the book has sold to over 20 countries. And I'm, I'm wondering um, what kind of responses you get from people around the world to your book. 
Is anything surprising? Um, anything different through the? Um, well, I think just mainly people are surprised when they realize that it's not where they think it's set. Um, so it was the same for the hating game. The hating game was set in an unnamed city in an unnamed area of town. But everyone I spoke to thought that it was set in a specific place. You know, people, Australian readers thought it was Sydney. Um, the editor in London thought that it's set in London and we're honestly very surprised and taken aback and taking the book and leaping through it saying, no, no, I'm sure that you mentioned it back. Oh, oh, wait, no, you're right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the reason I guess I initially um, went that way with the hating game was probably laziness. <laughs> coming back to my coming back to my core personality trait. I thought no. that I would sort it out later. <laughs> and I thought that I thought that um, there was no point in putting a lot of research into creating a specific setting if it ended up not being... I, I just thought once I got published, I would wait for some professional advice on where to set it. And um, I was told, look, it actually works as it is. And um, I did the same for 99% mine. Not this time out of laziness. I think more realizing that um, it can actually be quite a powerful way to make people feel in the moment and they can set it wherever they want in their mind. Um, it's a house renovation happening in their old hometown or a place that they once visited and they picture as they're reading. Um, so I think, yeah, I think my main reaction from readers is, wait, what? <laughs> when I tell them, that it's, it's set in their imagination. Right, right. When, one thing I wanted to bring up, which is kind of a little bit of inside baseball that most people don't get to see, is the copy editing process, which you shared pretty extensively on Twitter, which is where you know somebody comes after us and most of the story's all worked out, but they just work on the details. And yeah. um, you know, it was one of those cases where we have a common language, but we're also divided by our common language. And I remember you had a strong reaction to the fact that um, uh, we had such words as clothespin and um, spool of thread and a couple <laughs> things right. like that, which I thought was hilarious. Um, do you... <laughs> it's definitely, yeah, it's definitely very hard as an Australian to write um in a style that fits in with my U.S. publisher's um, sort of um, format, um, whereas Australia is a very British country. You know, we are, we're basically like little junior Britain here. And mm -hmm. so our spelling is different. And so many, uh, and so that particular tweet just opened up a whole can of worms for me because I didn't know that so many things are called other things. And so I was having people tweet at me from all over the world telling me what they called a clothespin or a clothes peg. Uh, and I, I, I really, I probably had to lie down after that conversation. It was too much for my mind. <laughs> I forget but, what they um, call, yeah. what you call a spool of thread. I thought it was, what do you call that? It, cotton reel. <laughs> a cotton reel. Yeah. It sounds like a dance. It's, it was actually, <laughs> it, it was actually a and lovely image. Yeah. 
So, um, so yes, but in all seriousness, um, your copy editors, you know, they really are doing very important jobs, mm -hmm. saving me from, you know, thousands of readers going, wait, what? what? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm eternally thankful. I probably owe someone there, you know, a big basket of fruit or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, yeah, I'm really grateful for any help that you guys give me in picking up those little oddities. Is there so, a word that you are like on the, this is the hill I die on, you need to change what you say in America? <laughs> uh, it nearly was cotton reel. Really? That's the important, quirky little thing in the book that I had. Um, and I had to let it go. It was hard for me. I was I sulked for probably a whole day. <laughs> I, to, I had to let my cotton reel go. And, <laughs> Um, that sounds like a part of a song. It does. <laughs> it will remain in my imagination. <laughs> so as we're recording this, we're we're two months out from your book being on sale. So you're starting to get reviews and feedback, and and you must feel like a real professional author this time. And uh, <laughs> does it feel different? It does feel different, um, mainly because. Everybody has something to compare this book to. Um, it's it's kind of hard thing to imagine that there are going to be people that say, mm, I like the first one better, or this one's not as good, or I like the second one better. Mm -hmm. And I guess I just have to really let it go at this point. It's too far gone now. I don't think that you're going to let me get it back from the printing press, are you? <laughs> no, not at all. And the, and the fact is oh. that you're going to have a long career, and people are always going to have their favorites. And obviously, this is going to be a favorite of mine since the first book we did together. But oh. um, I think the librarians also had questions. So um, I'm going to segue over to that section where um, Lainey's going to talk about that. Yeah, so... Like I said before, it, it's so great to talk to you. I am a big fan myself, and we've had a lot of um, love for the book. I think, so I read The Hating Game before I started working at HarperCollins, and then when I got here, we they told us that we were doing the second one, and I think I was refreshing my Edelweiss page to get an e-galley before the librarians. <laughs> um, and so it was really exciting I hope we hooked you up with the copy. <laughs> oh, it was first, I was the first to download when I saw it. Um, okay. So I personally love the book and love both of your books, and I've been really, really pushing them at presentations, and we talked to librarians a long time in advance, and we have done a lot for stuff like that. But as you've seen on Twitter and um, Instagram and all of social media, everyone's so excited for it, and we had... I can't even tell you, there was a long list on the side of my computer, a sticky note with people who had requested it for me. So when we told them that you were going to answer a few questions, they were beyond excited. So you're making some dreams come true. Oh, wow. That's so nice. <laughs> so I have, okay, I have a couple and I'm going to start out two are from The Hating Game. Okay. So Laura asked, what is the genesis of the Hating Game storyline, and is there someone in real life that inspired you to create Josh or Lucy? And I know you talked a little bit about it, but if you want to elaborate. Sure. Well, I mentioned that I wrote the Hating Game as a gift for a friend um, who really supported my writing, and she said to me, um, for my birthday, why don't you write me a short story? And I said, okay, well, I'll need a prompt word, 
what is what is your word for my story? And she said, nemesis. And I imagined two characters in a glass office, sitting opposite each other, staring at each other. And that's pretty much the hating game. <laughs> um, so I, um, I went with that and I've, no, I've never met anyone quite like Joshua. Um, when I got my book deal, the man that sat next to me at work in my office job that I hated gave me an extra long look and said, oh, oh. And I could see the, the wheels turning. He thought maybe he'd inspired this entire story, and I had to really quickly burst that bubble. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the characters are just me and the story all came from that friend and that word nemesis. Cool. So Grace asked, in The Hating Game, I love the idea that Josh collects matchbox cars and Lucy collects Smurfs. What inspired you to have your characters collect these items? Uh, I'm definitely a collector myself. Um, If you've ever seen any photos of my workspace, you will say to yourself, how does a human work in amongst all of that? (laughs) I collect all sorts of dolls. Um, just toys, nostalgia from the 80s, um, My Little Ponies and Care Bears. And um, it was kind of, it was, it would have been too hard to not have a collecting character probably for me in that book. Um, I can just, um, I really think that everybody's got a little something and a little quirk and a little thing that um, they collect. And Lucy collecting her Smurfs was, um, something that reminded her of her dad so I really wanted to include that aspect okay so the other two that I picked out are for well a little more general about 99% mine and then more specific so the more general one um, Bianca asked how different was the writing process for 99% mine in comparison to the hating game Um, were there any rituals or things you did back when you're writing your first book that you that didn't hold up the second time Basically, the entire way that I wrote the first book didn't work this time around. And that was the advice I got from everyone in my life. They said to me, just do what you did for the first book. Just pretend that you're writing your first book all over again. And I cannot lie to my own brain. I could see the tweets and the emails I was getting from readers saying, I can't wait for your next book. I could feel everyone's eyes. I could feel the anticipation. And um, I really didn't want to let my publisher down. Um, so I think really when it comes to writing and especially a second book, if someone's listening right now who is trying to write their second book, unfortunately the only way out is through and you have to get your bottom in your computer chair and sit in front of your computer. I've tried every other way to write a book and the only way to do it is to actually sit at your computer. And I think for me, I really probably sometimes take two or even sometimes three hours to get my brain into gear enough to start to type. Like my, I have to like, I'm holding my brain in a chokehold and I'm pinning it down and I'm holding it until it submits and that takes a long time. And, but the thing about writing is once you get in that zone, it's like better than anything. It's better than any kind of drug you could take because you are like suddenly stepped through into that creative subconscious part of your mind and you can write for hours and it will feel like nothing and you'll wake up the next morning and you'll read it and it's like another person wrote it and I think that that's what every writer is just chasing that moment and unfortunately that moment is extremely hard to get 
So um, I would say, in summary, my second book was impossibly hard for me, and I really worked for it. And I'm glad that I did, because in so many ways, I feel like the hating game was like my little miracle baby that just slipped out and everybody crowded around and said, oh my God, it's adorable. And now this time I was, I was in labor for a real long time and I, was, I really, really had to work for this one. And I think the first time around, I was really surprised that I'd written a book. And the second time around, I know that I wrote a book because I was there for every single minute of it. And um, I'm really proud of myself. Um, I nearly gave up a few times, and um, I think that's an important lesson for me to learn, that sometimes things come easy and sometimes things come hard. It's, it's very true. I know that the author, Nora Roberts, always says, I can fix a bad page, but I can't fix a blank one. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it is, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to write a book. And, um, you know, I'm excited to tell everyone that we have more books from you coming. So yes. that'll be fun. Oh, it's definitely in the questions. Where's the third one? <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, if I've read just all of the like, hi, Sally, they oh, you love your books. Like, I would be here forever. So um, just know there's a lot of love on, on all of the questions that have been submitted. Um, so the last one I have is from Kelly, who on Twitter, she said she submitted three. I think you saw that. And she's one of our really good librarian friends. So uh-huh. This is more specific. It says, there's a lot of DIY in this novel as Darcy and Tom work to renovate a house left to the twins by their grandmother. Are you handy with DIY projects or did you do some research to prepare for all the construction aspects of the book? I actually decided to do a house renovation storyline because my parents are having the house renovated. They have a beautiful old house by the ocean that was made, was actually was built by my great-grandfather and my grandfather. So I knew that um, I could really hook into those kind of, not, not only technical aspects of what was happening with that renovation, but I really understood the emotion of how it feels to have a house that's been the same way for a very long time, to suddenly see someone putting a crowbar into a part of it and pull. And it's a really emotional thing. You know, I've, I've watched a house that I grew up in. Basically, every holiday I went to, I went to this house. Now it's a completely different house when you walk through the front door. And I think I could really relate to Darcy's fear of a house losing its magic once it's um, been changed and altered like that. But myself, personally, I can't actually really even hang a really heavy picture on the wall. I have to get my brother... My brother's a carpenter, and so um, he was, I guess, my unofficial consultant (laughs) when writing this book. I would send him a text and say, would this ever happen? And he'd reply back, no, that would never happen. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, I was lucky to have him to ask questions. And I did have some kind of, like, renovating for dummies book, which I slipped through occasionally. For myself, no. I think um, if the apocalypse comes, I think I will last about maybe two and a half days before I'm a goner. <laughs> I think it, you did a really good job in the book as well. Like, you're renovating this house, but you're really renovating the characters in a way. You know, brick by brick, you're mm-hmm. you're taking them down to what they used to be and figuring out how they want to be rebuilt as themselves. And so I think that goes really well into it. 
Yeah, I think that I I always really like to, um, I think I touched on earlier, I really like to set stories like in a house or in a, a building. I really think that I my, my best place for me is just getting two characters in a room together. And I was really thinking about what kind of book would I pick up? What, and I just thought if I knew that there were two characters that had always had this really intense, almost animal connections since they were children and they were forced to be in the one house for a period of time um, with an end point of the house being sold. Um, I thought that was really what I would love to pick up and read. So that I must say I did make the second book process sound incredibly torturous, but the <laughs> upside is that you get to read the books that you really want to read. <laughs> That's a great point, and I, I know that everyone's going to love to read this. So um, is there anything else you'd like to add? Any any questions that you feel like you would have wanted us to ask? I would have liked a couple more, like, really easy ones, like, what's my favorite color? <laughs> what is your favorite color? I think it's the yellow my on this cover. <laughs> it is. That's right. That's why when you guys showed me the cover for 99 Cent Mine and said, what did you think? I thought, that's my favorite color. It was absolutely amazing um and i mean that's that's how you guys have always been though you've always just really like nailed it like so impossibly well the first time around you know like with the cover of the hating game as well you know just showing me something where i think i couldn't have asked for something better than that yeah they look so great together yeah they do they look perfect together i can absolutely guarantee it to the listeners that if you buy a 99 cent mine Mm -hmm. It will look so adorable sitting next to the Hayden game. <laughs> they really are different books, but I feel like I always want to describe 99% Mine as like the Hayden Game's sexy older sister puts on some black boots and fishnets and climbs out the window at night. I feel like they're really different vibes, but I'm hoping that readers get the same kind of feelings. I think that's a great place to end, Sally, because I think that that really encapsulates it. I really appreciate the okay. time you gave us um, because it's it's uh, almost time to leave work here, but I know you're just waking up in Australia. I'm very excited also that you're going to come to the U.S. next year in the spring for KissCon. Yeah. yeah, I hope people can make it and come and meet me. I'm coming an awfully long way, so um, yeah, come and meet me um, in Chicago. I'd love it. Great. Well, thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all the support from the beautiful librarians out there.